And now, a reading from the scriptures. And today's reading comes from Mark 15, 33-34. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our second reading comes from Psalm 130, 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Good morning, folks. Um, As I said, my name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of the pastors here at Zao. Um, You may notice I still have my Brittany mic. It's not just because I'm nostalgic for when we were all gathered in person. Um, It's also because um, we're trying to record this differently and for the podcast. Um, speaking of the podcast, today is, is Palm Sunday, um, technically, according to the calendar, and we call it Protest Sunday at Zao, where we bust out our protest signs and we um, celebrate and remember what it meant for, uh, for Jesus to have this planned action um, as he marched into Jerusalem with his people. Um, but because of the last week, because of the sermon series we're doing, we're actually going to be focusing on Holy Friday and Silent Saturday. So if you really just want to get your Palm Sunday on, you want to feel that protest Sunday energy, um, you can go to the podcast. Um, you can search us in iTunes. We're Zao MKE Church there. Um, and we have all of our podcasts. Uh, we've po- podcasted all of our sermons for the last year or so, maybe longer. Um, and similarly, on our website, if you go to zaomke.org slash sermons, you can get the, the previous ones on audio. Um, so if you're feeling that, that Palm Sunday energy, we can just direct you there. But, um, but for today, we are um, joining one another as we uh, continue our, our walk, our remembering through Holy Week. So much of the Christian calendar, this practice of of remembering story after story in succession is about moving collectively through a narrative, remembering what it is not just to skip to the end, to the resurrection, or even to go through the highlight reel, but to actually move day by day through the narrative. And and this series is the narrative of the last week of Jesus' life. So we've been walking Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and now we've come to Good Friday, as it is often known. We call it Holy Friday and Silent Saturday. We mash those up because in our, um, in our process of Lent, there are seven Sundays, um, but we have eight days, Sunday through Sunday, to cover. And, and so today we're dwelling on that Good Friday and Holy Saturday that often gets a little bit overlooked that Saturday. And we often really want to rush just from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Holy Week uh, is celebrated throughout the world in Christian communities. Some places, um, Semana Santa is like the, the, the greatest um, and, and most public 
um, collective experience of, of Christian faith, and, and Christmas is actually pretty far behind it. Um, that Holy Week is a time where we, we walk through that week, and it begins on Palm Sunday, but a lot happens throughout that week. And again, if you, if you need to catch up, we got all those podcasts for you, um, but a lot happens. On Monday, um, Jesus is in the temple and overturning tables. On Tuesday, he's in... Um, in the space with the, the religious leadership and they're debating theology. On Wednesday, he's preparing for his burial as a woman breaks a jar of ointment over his head and lavishes him with love. Meanwhile, Judas is deciding to betray him. Um, and on Thursday, uh, last week, we really just spent uh, our whole sermon time, our whole teaching time, just going beat by beat through what happens on Thursday because it is so rich, moving from pa- the Passover meal um, into the garden and uh, to the arrest of Jesus in the, in the middle of the night. And so that urge that we have to move from Palm Sunday uh, and skip all of that middle bit to just go to Easter Sunday really takes the, the bulk out of the narrative. And that's why a lot of churches have Maundy Thursday services um, or foot washing services on Thursday of Holy Week and Good Friday services. But for those of us who maybe didn't grow up going to multiple services throughout Holy Week, um, or for those of us in traditions where that really isn't a thing, um, perhaps for those of us who are just new to this altogether, it seems as though we could just go from waving palms on Sunday morning of Palm Sunday to celebrating the resurrection as though nothing happened in the middle. And I think that that rush, that rush from the triumphal entry to the triumphal resurrection is, a, is really consistent with one of the core sins of American nationalism um, and some of the things that we've been taught about what victory is all about. It's really counter to Christ to claim victory from victory because we know that Jesus claims victory from loss and from death. And so the point of drawing out this week all throughout Lent has been to move through each movement of that How do we go from triumphal entry that actually isn't just triumphal entry, it's planned strategic entry along with weeping. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem through the conflict, through the debates, through the mourning and the ritual, through the meal, through the prayer in the garden, through the betrayal, to the cross. And so now we have arrived at the cross on Holy Friday, It's called Good Friday. It was originally called Good Friday first um, in some German traditions that were really connected to atonement. And the idea was, it is good that Jesus died for us. But it's really incomplete to call Good Friday good. Because Jesus dying and suffering on the cross is complicated. We don't celebrate the torture of our Lord We don't celebrate the public execution of Jesus as a bandit and an insurrectionist. We mourn the fact that the world was not ready, that the world receiving the pure and unadulterated love of God reacted with violence and rejection. Now, we could call it Good Friday. I think in that sense, we would have to call it Good Holy Week, Good Jesus, Good Incarnation, Because the coming of Jesus to the world was not just for that moment on the cross. And in fact, the moment on the cross is really just the culmination of who Jesus was and what he taught and how he lived and moved and was with God's people every minute preceding that. 
Jesus comes to us with a fullness of love and encounters the violence and rejection of the world. And all of this comes to a head on Friday. After having been put on trial secretly in the middle of the night by those folks who feel threatened by him and want to uphold the empire, Jesus now has been beaten and marched through public space. Lest anyone think that Jesus is going to come out of this okay, they want to make sure his torture and execution is public. So they march him through, and they post him on a cross. And everyone gathers and watches and waits until he dies. Holy Friday is a time of grief and mourning and loss. When I was a child and trying to cope uh, with some of my own early childhood trauma, trying to cope with my own mental health issues, Good Friday felt like one of the only days of the year that the church truly let me feel the depth of my sadness. When I was, uh, when I was in vacation Bible school, there was a song that they taught kids. Um, I don't remember what it's called. But the lyrics go, I'm in right, out right, up right, down. Oh, I should give you the hand, hand motions too. Okay, ready? I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in and cleansed my heart of sin, I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. Yay! And while it's a really catchy, upbeat song, even as a kid, I was like, hang on a minute. It didn't ring true for me. I wasn't happy all the time. And no matter how much Jesus had cleansed my heart from sin, the grief and pain of the world was still there because it wasn't actually sin uh, that I needed to be cleansed of that was causing me to be sad. It was my attunement to the brokenness of the world. One of the huge errors of the church, especially the Christian church in the United States, is kind of a glossing over of pain and suffering, a declaration that because we are loved by God, we are happy all the time. And that's simply wrong. Jesus wasn't happy all the time. Read the Gospels. That dude was mostly angry. But he was also loving and kind. And he grieved with people. He wept multiple times in the scriptures. He wept over the loss of loved ones when Lazarus died, even though Jesus knew that Jesus was about to resurrect him. He wept. Jesus wept over Jerusalem before he marched in, even though he knew that he was coming to save all humankind and all creation. Jesus had space for grief and anger. And though we need more than just one day, Holy Friday is an important day to just hold that grief, the power of loss, not to be in denial about it, not to resist it, but actually to just move into the presence of Jesus on the cross who suffers with us. When Jesus is on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And anytime we feel forsaken by God, we can feel united to Jesus in the cross. That in that moment where we feel most alone, we know that Jesus cried out with us, why have you forsaken me? Moving into Saturday is a little harder to recognize for some of us. We often talk about Christ on the cross. 
We talk about Christ resurrected. But what about that in-between time when Christ is dead? What answers do we have? What questions do we even have when God is dead? How do we observe that time between when the catastrophe has hit, when the loss is most present, when the dying is occurring, and when the resurrection comes and we reemerge new? It doesn't happen instantly. What about that in between? The psalmist writes, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits more than those who watch for the morning. And he repeats, more than those who watch for the morning. There is a long, dark night of the death of God in our holy week. And we never pause there. We don't have holy Saturday services where we sit in silence. We should. We often talk uh, about being a resurrection people. And this is something that a lot of liberationists that I really treasure hold dearly. And it's something that has shaped me tremendously to say, we are a Sunday people. We are a Sunday people. We believe in the resurrection and we act into that resurrection. But what if part of the call to remember, part of the narrative that we join one another in, is to be for a moment, for a day, for a week, for a season, a Holy Friday people in the moment of grief and dying and loss. Or perhaps right now we are a Holy Saturday people, tending to our loved ones the best we can and waiting for the Lord who feels gone and dead. We wait, our souls wait more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who are on night watch, who know that their job is to keep safe until morning. We wait for the sun to rise, but it doesn't come quickly. The promise of the gospel is that death is never final. And that is a beautiful and reassuring promise. But the promise of the gospel is not that there is no death. And we often mix the two up. We move through death into life. That is the promise. That's the promise of the resurrection and that's the promise of liberation. Not that we can avoid it, not that we can resist it, not that we can hold death at bay if we just try hard enough. But actually that if we face death, as Jesus did, we will move through it and resurrection will come. But first, we must die. First, we must sit with that death and we experience it. And we want to rush. That's why it's so easy for the church to fall into rhythms of Palm Sunday and then the next time we gather, Easter Sunday. Because waiting in that death, waiting in that long, dark night is painful and hard. But what if it's holy? What if it's part of the call? What if it is part of life? What if death and facing death is fundamental to life and to resurrection? We want to resist death. We want to deny it. But that's one thing that Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't flee. Jesus didn't force anything. They taught him on the cross about this, actually. They say, if you are God, save yourself. And he doesn't. 
Jesus has come to terms with the fact that he must move through death into life and resurrection. So what's the difference between accepting death and being ruled by it? Well, ironically, I think that we are ruled by death most when we are resisting it, fighting it, and ending up in stasis. One of the most precious metaphors that a colleague has given me is the idea of Gehenna, the dump outside of Jerusalem, as, uh, as stasis. So Gehenna is the word most often translated as hell. Um, in our modern language. Um, And so when Jesus talks about hell, which is not that often, but he does talk about it, he talks about the fires of Gehenna. And we talk about the fires of hell. Now, in our context, that's totally abstracted. It's shaped more by by Dante and um, popular culture than uh, anything in the Bible. But Jesus is talking about a real place. Gehenna is uh, the city dump. And it's a place where... where, uh, trash would go to be piled up um, and sometimes burned, and there were often wild animals. So when when Jesus talks about the the burning, uh, the flames of Gehenna and the gnashing of teeth, he's literally referring to fires that would sometimes start in the city dump and the wild animals that would come and tear at at the trash. But the problem with, uh, with a dump, the problem with a landfill, is that when you stack all of your trash together and you just try and keep it as compact as possible and out of your way and out of your sight and out of your mind, when you try and just get rid of it and pile it all together and and have it just outside your city limits, it doesn't do the thing that life is supposed to do. It doesn't die. It doesn't decay. It doesn't break down its nutrients and enrich the soil. It doesn't become fertile ground for something new to live and grow. It just sits there. It just is in this state of suspended animation, this half-death. It's unable to decompose. That is hell. That is hell. That is ruled by death, this place of stillness that cannot move through death into life. It's the state of death by perpetual avoidance. What if hell is not being stuck in death forever because we have died, but because we refuse to? What if the metaphors Jesus was giving us was not about saying, resist death, deny it, keep it from your sight, don't think about it? Because that actually is the death itself, this death that lingers, that presses in on us, that we won't just turn to face and move through. What if death is denial of loss? What if death is holding on to life that has already passed? And how does it change if we're willing to face death? What if we, with Jesus, actually approach the cross? With the promise that there is new life on the other side of it, if only we can turn our eyes to the death that we are really experiencing. Jesus did three really important things when approaching the cross. First, Jesus faced his fear and didn't deny it. As we talked about last week in the garden at Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and wept. Scriptures say that he was agitated 
And he said to God, if there's another way to do this, like sign me up. I'm not here for this. This is not what I want. And he expressed that fear and that, that resistance he was feeling rather than holding it and saying, I'm going to avoid it, which is what all of his followers did. We won't, we won't let this happen. This isn't going to happen. Jesus said, this is happening, but I don't want it to. And Jesus took that to God. Jesus said to God, I don't want this. I don't want this cup. Take it from me. But in expressing that, Jesus was able then to move through that and say, but God, not my will, yours. Trusting that love would find a way towards life. So Jesus faced his fear and didn't deny it, offered it up to God. The second thing that Jesus did was express grief. On the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me? Now, the scriptures say that, Jesus, or that God will never forsake us. In Deuteronomy 31, 6, it says, Be bold and strong. Have no fear or dread, because it is the Lord your God who goes with you. God will not fail you or forsake you. So did Jesus forget his scriptures? Of course not. Jesus, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is actually quoting another scripture, Psalm 22, where the psalmist is feeling abandoned by God. Jesus knows that God is with him always. Jesus is God. And yet, Jesus feels the depth of loss and grief that feels like total abandonment, that feels like he's utterly alone in this moment of suffering. And instead of holding that in, instead of pretending it's not happening, instead of gritting his teeth and bear it, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus weeps and cries. Jesus grieves. And finally, what we can do learning from Jesus, from the scriptures and from the gospels about moving through death is to sit with death and to accept it. Jesus didn't die on the cross, breathe his last, and then pop right back up. That is not the way that our God moved through death. And we have all sorts of mythologies in our current culture, superheroes and the like, who have um, immortality or have... Um, the ability to heal themselves. And usually they just can't be killed at all. That's our fantasy. We can avoid death altogether. You can wound me, but you'll never kill me. That's not our God. That's not the superpower that Jesus brings to creation. Resurrection isn't instant from death. Resurrection isn't avoiding death altogether by just being uh, invincible. Jesus shows us that he fully died. Three days meant something. It meant that there was no question anymore that he had died. He wasn't just really ill. He died. Our tradition says that he descended to the dead, that he fully died. He had the full experience of moving through death. So how are you facing your fear and offering it to God? Do you trust that God's way through is good, even if it means facing death? How are you expressing your grief right now? Have you shouted? Have you cried? Have you written? Have you gone for a run? 
Have you let yourself feel the depth of that Psalm 22 cry that says, God, where are you? Even if you think you should know better that God is with you. How have you sat with the death or loss that you've experienced lately? Do you watch as those who watch for the morning? Do you cozy up to your tea or beverage in the middle of that long, dark night? Do you find one another and wait for the Lord? Is your soul waiting? That is a holy process. And the resurrection only comes after it. We don't want to be stuck in Gehenna. We don't want to resist death. Our gospel is a promise of something richer, that we move through death into life. Jesus used a lot of metaphors about seeds and plants and planting. Seeds, in order to grow, need to be planted in the ground. They can grow into things that are beautiful and powerful, unimaginable, but they must go through the soil before they can emerge into the light. And in that soil, they are fertilized by matter that has been digested. They are fertilized by the life that had come before, that was dying, that died and decayed. Our gospel is one of life from death, not life by avoiding death. In my most difficult moments, in this season and in others, I often recall uh, a book, I think it's also a song, um, that I remember from my childhood. It's called Going on a Bear Hunt. And it's the story of a, a group of children going on a bear hunt. And they say, we're not scared, even though it becomes very clear that they are terrified. And they encounter all sorts of obstacles, tall grasses they can't see into, thick mud that threatens to, to suck them under, a dark forest that they don't know how to navigate, a deep river. And their mantra all on this journey is, can't go over it, can't go under it, gotta go through it. There are times when we look into those tall grasses and we fear what might be lurking or slithering there. There are times when we look at that rushing river and we think, no, this death, this grief, this loss will, will take me away. I will not survive this. And that may be true at some sense. But what Jesus promises us is that whatever does kill us <laughs> makes us stronger. That death is never the final answer, not the small deaths of our life, not the final death of our life. Because there is always more life on the other side. Life eternal, life anew. And through those losses, those deaths, we find each other, and we find the God who is with us all along. As we move through death, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, who has not left us, but actually moves through death with us. And as Julian of Norwich says, then all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we pray that we would receive your presence, 
not only in the joys of resurrection, but in the pain of dying and in the silence, the quiet, the stillness of death. God, you are with us, making all things new, and death is never final. Give us the courage to face it with your love. Give us the strength to look for you in it. Give us the honesty to cry out when we feel abandoned by you. And give us the capabilities to find you again when we are ready. In your name we pray. Amen.